Hello, Redemption Church. Today we're going to continue our series on the book of Zechariah. But as we get started, let's take a moment and pray. God, thank you um, that you have uh, recorded your words for us. God, your word to your people in the book of Zechariah. God, thank you that even though this book may be very difficult for us to understand at times, God, that it holds something for us, your people. God, I pray over the next few minutes as we talk through um, this book, that you would be at work in our hearts and minds. God, that your Holy Spirit would draw us close to you. Holy Father, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel, that you would be honored and glorified, and that, God, we would have great joy from hearing your word and being reminded of the gospel. And Holy Father, it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. A few weeks back, Ben started this series on the book of Zechariah by looking at chapter 1. And Ben told us how the book is set when God's people are returning from a 70-year exile brought about by their idolatry and injustice and wickedness. And Zechariah is calling the people of God to repent and to return to God and to not be like their ancestors. And this morning, very specifically, we're going to be diving into chapter 8. But needless to say, there's a lot that happens between chapters 1 and chapter 8. And if you haven't done so yet, please watch the introductory video on this book from the Bible Project that is linked on our worship guide. It will hopefully help make sense of these chapters that we are not directly covering. These chapters that we're not covering are a wild ride of bizarre dreams and night visions that probably don't make a lot of sense to us at first glance. There are dreams about four horsemen on patrol. There are dreams about four horns and four blacksmiths and a woman in a basket. Dreams about measuring lines and flying scrolls. Dreams about the current leaders of Israel at this time that become symbols of the future Messiah and Messianic kingdom. For our Western minds, these visions and dreams are really kind of befuddling. But chapters 7 and 8 are sort of a conclusion to those dreams. In chapter 7, God's people are essentially asking if now is the time for the future messianic kingdom to be established like some of those dreams that Zechariah uh, talked about were addressing. They've been in exile, they've returned, and they are grieving over the destruction of the temple by weeping and fasting at certain points of the year. They've endured all that God has brought their way, so they were wondering what God is going to do is now the time. If the time had come for the messianic kingdom to be established, if the promises of old were still good. And then chapter 8 changes things. Zechariah and these visions and dreams prior to chapter 8 echo uh, the book of Habakkuk with the cry of, How long, O God? How long? And God's answer is still sort of something like, You wouldn't believe it even if I told you. But trust me, I am coming out for you. I am building my kingdom. And it doesn't rest on you in any way, shape, or form. But if you want this kingdom, come taste it by returning to me and becoming agents of my kingdom here on earth. It's as, it's as if God is saying that his promises of a future kingdom were never in doubt. However, what is in question is the faithfulness of God's people in this moment where they find themselves. 
So if we look at chapter 8, let's make sure that we're looking at chapter 8 as a transitional chapter. Evidence of that is verse 15, where God talks about bringing good to Jerusalem as opposed to how things had been up until this point. And that's a turn from the focus of their past sin and discipline towards something new and towards the coming king and kingdom that the people are asking about, the kingdom that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And he sort of points them toward that coming kingdom. Zechariah paints three pictures in this passage that we need to see. And he gives... uh, And he also gives God's people some direction on how they are to participate in what God is doing by living faithfully uh, as God would have them live. So let's start by looking at these three pictures that Zechariah paints in chapter 8, and then we'll move on to how we, like the people that God uh, is speaking to in the book of Zechariah, participate in what God is doing, what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. So let's start by reading verses 1 through 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It is marvelous in the sight of the remnant in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. The first picture that we see here in chapter 8 is a picture of a renewed people in a renewed city. Children playing in the streets, old men and women in the streets. The remnant of God's people home again. The people who were disciplined by God and have come out on the other side repentant and obedient and faithful. They are being renewed because God is with them. Renewed because God has brought them back and done something marvelous in their sight. Because God is jealous for them and wants to be with them. Rather than having them away in exile, God wants to be back with them in this city. Imagine that, a God who wants to be with his people. And because God is with them, they are renewed in the way that they are relating to God and the way that they are relating to one another in this context. It is a picture of the city of of Jerusalem that for these people is yet to be. These verses really are simply a description of what happens in the life of the people of God when God shows up. And inasmuch as there was a direct word for these people as to what could happen if they continually turned to God in repentance and faith, this was also a pointer to Jesus and his church. This picture of a renewed Jerusalem, a revived community with God dwelling in their midst is a picture of how the church is to be today. How we need to pray that God would come and descend upon his church in power and grace just like that. 
that there would be unity among us and the awareness of the very presence of God resting heavy upon his church as we love and serve our city, as we speak the good news of Jesus's restoring and reviving power right here where God has placed us in this neighborhood in our city. How we need to pray for such a day. But there's a second picture that we see in Zechariah chapter 8, and we find it in verses 9 through 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe. For him who went out or came in, for I said every man against his neighbor, but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For for there shall be a sowing of peace, the vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things." And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. The second picture that Zechariah paints for us points us to something else just as grand as this renewed and revived city. It's not just the image of a renewed city. It's now the image of a renewed and restored garden, maybe even a restored Eden. God reminds them of how bad things were when Judah wandered away and the Lord judged them. It was a terrible season of distrust and suffering and hardship in the life of God's covenant community. But notice how things begin to change in verses 11 and 12. But now, but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days. For there shall be a sowing of peace. There will be a sowing of peace. And God's people will be a blessing. God will not deal with his people as in the former days. What greater fulfillment of that promise is there than in what Jesus has done? And as much as Zechariah is speaking to these people about their immediate context where they find themselves, he's pointing to Jesus as well. And we know that Christ is currently building his church and one day that will culminate in Christ's return. The new Jerusalem will be a renewed city and a renewed garden, a new Jerusalem and a new Eden. And the curse on Adam's first transgression will be gone. Adam disobeyed in the pristine garden of the unfallen world, but a second Adam has come and obeyed among the thorns and briars of a fallen world. The second Adam has fully paid sin's penalty that the first Adam could never satisfy. And while the first Adam died under sin's curse, the second Adam rose to resurrection life. And because of Jesus, everything sad is going to come untrue. And Zechariah paints that picture for us with a renewed garden. And finally, the third picture that we need to see here is in verses 20 through 23. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The third picture that we need to see in Zechariah is the picture of a grand homecoming. In the immediate context of Zechariah, God's people have been and are still returning from their exile. They've come home to Jerusalem from their captivity. And he's saying that their current homecoming prefigures another homecoming. A homecoming on a global scale that will involve people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And in the background of this whole chapter is the covenant that God has made with Abraham. It's echoing Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham that I will bless you and make your name be great so that you will be a blessing. Ultimately, it's a pointer to Jesus and his church. And there's not a one-to-one correlation between the people of God and Zechariah and Redemption Church today. And yet... Zechariah is pointing directly to Jesus and his church, directly even to events like Pentecost, where God is blessing the nations through the body of Christ that even today, we, Redemption Church, might be a blessing because of Jesus. So Zechariah has given us three pictures, a new city, a new garden, a new homecoming, And it meant something for these people that were hearing from Zechariah in their immediate context. Let's not miss that. This is a call to action for God's people right where they were. But also in the midst of this, Zechariah is pointing to the kingdom of God that will be established by Jesus. And just like Zechariah gives these people some immediate steps to follow, to be a part of what God is doing in their midst, Those same things extend to us today. So let's read about that. And we can see those things in verses 14 through 19. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. God is telling his people that he's going to move them from fasting to feasting, from fasting to truth and peace. But there's something that goes along with what God says he's going to do for his people, and there's something for them to do. In verse 16, we begin to see about that when it says, Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. 
And then in verse 17, we hear it in another way. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Notice that there is a positive affirmation in verse 16 to pursue peace and justice as a whole. The idea of rendering true judgments in the gates is a very judicial idea. It's about seeing justice prevail in all areas and levels of society. And then verse 17 is a negative affirmation to avoid injustice because God hates it. God hates it when his people devise ways to bolster themselves economically or socially or judicially or in whatever way at the expense of others. God hates it when his people lie about what justice is and is not. When God's people lie in a way that calls others to experience injustice. So God is telling his people, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing, then love then love one another, live justly, and pursue peace. If you want to have a stake in my kingdom, then you're going to need to live in a way that demonstrates the peace that Jesus will ultimately bring as a part of that kingdom, to live in a way that makes things as they should be and as they eventually will be in that new city and in that new garden. And here's the thing. We're no different than the people of Zechariah. We're no different than the people that Zechariah was talking to. Even in the midst of where we are as a society right now, in the midst of a global pandemic, we want to be through it. We want to be on the other side of it. We want what we used to have. But that's not really the point of where God has us right now. Just like these people physically seeing the messianic kingdom come to fruition wasn't the point in Zechariah. God has us in a place where everything has changed. And we don't know when things will be normal again. And in the midst of our longing for what we used to have, maybe we need to hear what God is saying, just like God was saying something to these people in the book of Zechariah. Seek justice. Live justly. Pursue peace. Bring peace to bear on earth as it is in the kingdom, on earth as it is in heaven. So what's the call for us today? The call for us is to embrace the fact that we all are probably in a different season of life than where we would like to be. And so maybe we need to hear the same thing that God said to the people in this book. Maybe we need to be intentional about pursuing and seeing justice come to bear as agents of God's kingdom. Maybe we need to start down that road by getting to know and serve the neighborhood we exist in as a church. Maybe the call for us is to engage with one another in the ways that we can, even though it doesn't match all of our longings. Maybe we need to realize that in this moment, everything is not about us. And we need to look for where God is moving rather than where we think he should be moving. And maybe the call for us is to strive with each other for the faith of the gospel, however different that may seem right now. Redemption Church, I pray that we would be people of justice and people of peace and agents of God's kingdom in such a way that we are displaying that justice and peace 
to the world around us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this reminder from Zechariah. God, thank you that even though we may not understand what is going on in the world around us right now, that things are not, uh, that things are like they've never been before, that, that God, you are still at work. God, help us to see how we can be a part of what you're doing. God, help us to um, help us to be people of justice and peace, just like you called your people to be in Zechariah. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can relate to you in new ways. We can relate to one another in new ways, and we can relate to the world around us in new ways. God, thank you for your salvation. God, I pray that you would call us to you even in this moment to be people of peace and justice. And God, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for uh, joining us through this time of worship, through the online worship guide, I pray, or I ask that you would continue to worship um, in other ways that are provided here, whether it be for kids, whether it be singing or anything like that. Thank you, Redemption Church.